Welcome to Jewish History with Rabbi David Katz, connecting the human side to Jewish history. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com. Hi, good morning. It's Thursday morning here. And I'm going to take this opportunity to do the Pasha, or try to do the Pasha today. It happens to be, for a number of reasons, one of the reasons is that um, today is the 12th of Sivan, and uh, the Seyarts of somebody sponsoring today, the Rechtan family, apparently Dr. Rechtan's mother, this is her yard site, uh, Fagi Bezol Bas Menachem Mendel, it says, Shamashav and Aliyah. And based on what the information they shared with me, I see she's from the western Galicia, uh, upper Silesia, the western, central, south-western part of Poland. I know that doesn't mean anything to you. Anyway, I'll tell you what it really means to me. These are the people who had it worse than the Holocaust. She went through the war. If you know what's going on there, that's... Auschwitz is located not far from there, right? These are the areas of tremendous suffering. <laughs> so she made it through the war. I don't know how, and she, and she said she had a brother and, they, they and sister. Three siblings to survive in South Central Poland, that is unusual. <laughs> That's very unusual. Um, and there was a big ghetto there, and in Sussex there was a big ghetto, and the Germans just killed everybody until the end. And in the end, when there was, when it, when you know the when it was clear everybody's going to die, there was like uprising there. I don't think many people know about it. Everybody knows about the Warsaw Ghetto. They had a couple of others also. They had a couple of others also. And all these people obviously ended up in Auschwitz or places like that. I don't know how she survived the war. And more importantly, uh, obviously, from that's from my parents' generation, they rebuilt after the war. I mean, that's, that's the acre point, right? Because her son, Dr. Rechem, became a big physician, and, and the grandchildren and so forth. That's, uh, if you're from my generation, it's hard to explain to people, but the only... The expression is you have uh, vengeance on Hitler. It's not exactly vengeance on Hitler, but the only way you can demonstrate, uh, you know, to others certainly the uh, evil of the Germans is if you build, if the survivors build a good life for themselves. By that I mean the constructive, the children, grandchildren, they do good things to society. You know, to put it in simple terms uh, that you can understand, I'm going to make some a story up. This will be a good movie. Suppose somebody finds tomorrow the vaccine for the coronavirus and saves the world. And suppose that person is the grandson, for example, of somebody who survived Auschwitz. Then you say, see, you know, because he survived Hitler, therefore they found the, the cure for the cancer for the coronavirus. Uh, you can't explain to a lot of people that, you know, killing the Jews was beta on its own. You have to be able to show them, see, they helped the world. It's a funny world we live in like that. But anyway, today's uh, podcast is uh, in her memory, I don't know when she passed away, apparently uh, young. Yeah, I know that generation. Anyway, there's assumption, I believe, that all those people who went through that stuff, uh, the Polish Jews went through six years of this business. You know what I'm saying? Six years. I once had someone in my show also, Mr. Kaufman, who also was from Polish, and I was, this is many years ago, and I spoke something about the Kleisenberger Rebbe, for some reason or other, because my father was in the concentration camp with him. 
and he came over to me afterwards, and he said, Kleisenberg Rebbe, big deal. The Hungarians were there for just one year. One year. You know, from 44 to 45. We had it for six years. Now, it's horrible even one day, but I understand what he means. And this lady here, Fager Rezabas Mendel, six years of this junk in the Holocaust. My goodness. Anyway, today's parasha is, uh, as we know, Nasso. It's hard for me to wrap my thoughts around because we're still in the Zoom era. The shows haven't been opened completely. I'm still going every day talking about the Parsha or aspects of it. But I'm going to share something with you today that's, there's no coincidence. I'll tell you something funny that happened to me. I mentioned a week or two ago about the brother of the Maral, Chaim Ben Betzal of Friedberg. did a thing on him. And I said I'm reading his uh, little Mutzer Sefer in my seal every day. And I got and finished one, this part and that part, and now up to a part called Sefer Chaim Tobin. Whatever. And very full of unusual ideas. And uh, the one I uh, so this morning, like an hour ago, when I opened it up, so he he starts talking about um, chibur, uh, what we call today sexuality, and the point he's trying to, and this is written in the 16th century, but it strikes as so so contemporary relevance, and the point he's trying to make in his old-fashioned Hebrew is uh, you know the the Jewish religion or or Yaakov and all that. Uh, how should I put it? We're committed, the Jewish tradition is committed to trying to divorce sexuality from prurience. That's how I would regard it. On the other hand, the rest of society, the Greek society, as he refers to it, and particularly in our time, in this day and age in the 21st century, when there's money to be made through uh, pornography and prurience, is devoted to the opposite extreme, to uh, constantly hitching together sexuality and prurience, which is very interesting. And the reason I say it is because, first of all, it's true. Anybody who's dealing with any community, Jewish or otherwise, knows this is a big problem. Uh, I'm talking about, in other words, if you talk to the people like Amudim, what are the three big problems you have in any community, including the Haredi communities? You have a problem with booze, you have a problem with drugs, and you have a problem with porn. That's, that's, that's a fact, you understand? Maybe some of us forgot this because of the corona, everybody's uh, uh, stuck in the house. But it doesn't go away. Matter of fact, didn't we all see a month ago, whatever, who was there, David Cohn from Brooklyn, gave a thing that, you, you know, if you have a uh, addiction situation, you can call your guy on Shabbos on Yontif. Didn't he say that? Because it's like a psychonist of Fajr. Which he's right. That's why they, 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 they had him put out a thing on the internet, the Mudin. So here we are, the parsha of the Soto. Right? The whole... One of the most uh, central and interesting parts of the parsha is no, uh, Nasso is about the Sota. Now, I spoke about it in my show uh, on the Zoom the other day, but the Sota obviously has to do with, um, the, I would say, uh, the nature of jealousy and uh, of Lush and Hara. We've all heard the story uh, one time or another, which is a lot of Svarim, which originally is a Catholic story. A lot of our best um, so-called Jewish tales, if you trace it back to historical origins, actually are <laughs> from the Catholics in the Middle Ages. But anyway, uh, maybe I'll talk about that next week. But uh, there's a famous story of Lush and Har where the guy said like this, I said Lush and Har about somebody I want to undo it. And they said, well, go take, you've heard this, go take a pillow uh, full of feathers and then scatter the feathers everywhere and now go and pick up all the feathers, which is impossible. The idea is you say Lashnar about somebody, 
you made the damage, it's impossible to undo the damage, right? So if I say something about you, uh, the other the other people are going to believe it to some degree or another. And even if later on it comes out that it wasn't true, they'll still believe it to some degree. Now, if I do Stam Lashahara, that's one thing. But if you have a husband and wife, and somebody says your wife is fooling around with somebody else, that poison is going to be there even if it was a lie, even if the husband finds it's not true. You, you, you understand what I'm saying? Except in the most radical circumstances. You know, I could write a novel, and it'll turn out that the husband discovers this was all a plot on somebody else, you know, to undo the marriage, whatever. But typically speaking, when people say, I'll share about a spouse, people say to a, and by the way, I'm the rabbi, but you see this, people will tell a husband or send a poison pen letter or a, uh, what do you call it, an email, I saw your husband here, I saw your wife there, I saw this, that, and the other, and they probably think they're doing a, a favor, and all they do is they plant a poison, you understand, it's a seed, and it won't go away, it won't go away, and it will destroy the, uh, the, the, the marriage relationship because it's, it's always fragile. And uh, I'm, I mentioned the other day, if you want a very good example of this, read Othello from Shakespeare, you know, where Iago, all he has to do is keep hinting to Othello that his wife is fooling around, which was not true, Desdemona. And it's brilliant to work to Shakespeare, you know, now that he analyzes how Lush and Hara, like a little poison works its way little by little into the brain. And at the end, you know, the husband kills the wife for, for no reason. In other words, it, 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 what was told was a lie, and it was said by Iago in order to undermine the, the marriage. And so he could, you know, replace Othello. So all I'm trying to say is that Lashon are very powerful, especially husband and wife. Therefore, you have the institution of Sota, which is unique, because you make a miracle, correct? We don't have mitzvahs with miracles. You have mitzvahs that bring a carbon, you know, uh, go be tire yourself, keep kosher, tire some mishpah. It's not a miracle. It's a, it's a, it's a code of conduct, Correct? Do's and don'ts. As Randy knows, it comes to Sotub, uh, you know, she could blow up, right? explode. Alternatively, Venixa of an Israel Azara, or she got pregnant. These are supernatural. Why do you have a supernatural? It's Shmamina that uh, it requires, this is sad, to fix solidly a marriage relationship requires an act of God, a divine intervention. And when you don't have divine intervention, we don't have it today. You'll never really be able to undo the damage. If somebody says, I think your wife is too friendly with so-and-so, or the other way around nowadays, it'll never go away. You know what I'm saying? 50 years later, she's still going to remember. He's still going to remember. And there's no SOTA ceremony, you know, to sort of like, what should I say, you know, clear the air. And the way the Chazal put it is that Hashem doesn't mind if the Hashem Shemayim is Nimcha, you know, because they write God's name on the paper, and they put it in the water, and then the God's name is erased. And he said he doesn't mind if it'll restore Shalom bias. That's a very famous Chazal. But what's that mean? You know, what does it mean? It means that most extreme measures are necessary, and God is willing to do it, in order to try to undo, to the degree possible, the damage done by charges of infidelity. And that's how it goes. By charges of infidelity. Because the main idea to Soto is not to catch the guilty party. The main, hear what I'm saying. It's not to catch the guilty party. The main idea of the Sota is to uh, clear the name of the innocent party. That's the main Yisot. Consider well. If a lady really was guilty, if she has any brains, at the last moment she'll confess. Why should she, she, she want to blow up? Remember, as I mentioned the other day, a confession is inadmissible as far as law is concerned. So even if a lady said, I really uh, was involved with this other guy. 
in and of itself, that can't get her convicted of adultery. The only thing you can do is make her lose a kasuba, you know. Uh, she's not going to be stoned or anything like that because without witnesses and hasra and all the rest of it, we have a high bar in Jewish law in terms of due process and, you know, nothing physical will happen to her. The answer is, but you want to clear the innocent one. And the lady said, I guess, I know my husband is insanely jealous and the only thing that will convince him we go to base on Megdash. That's the general idea. So these are basic Yisotas when it comes to Sota that we all know. What was interesting to me in reading this old chapter today in the book was that he, being somewhat mystical and bent, this Rechaim ben Mitzal in the Sefer, so he says that this is all due to, uh, what shall I say, two different views of sexuality. Yes. Which he would identify as the Yaakov view and the Esau view. That's basically, I'm, I'm, I'm putting it in my words, uh, but this in my understanding is basically what he has in mind. And the reason is because in the Middle Ages, um, when the Jews were exposed to philosophy, the intellectuals, so the whole notion of sexuality was um, discussed at great length in the medieval philosophy books. And uh, what you find is some who adopted what was at that time in the Middle Ages a Western, in other words, Aristotelian view of sexuality as something negative versus the more mystical Jewish ones who said, no, you got it all wrong, it's something positive. Basically, Rambam versus Ramban. Rambam in the Murdavuchim discusses sexuality, and he basically said, like, yes, listen, it's part of the human condition, uh, so is eating and drinking and going to the bathroom. This is unfortunately, you know, how people were made. Uh, they can't procreate unless you do this, that, and the other. But it's very physical, it's very animalistic, you know what I'm saying? To the Aristotelian intellectuals, anything you do which resembles an animal, is a low thing. What the human should be distinguished by what he does different than an animal. You understand? What makes a human unique is the reasoning ability, things like that. But the fact you eat and you drink and you go to the bathroom and you uh, sexually reproduce and all that, ugh, that's disgusting. It's like, a, it's like a behemoth. It's necessary, right? It's necessary, but it's nothing pleasant. Nobody considers, you know, uh, going to the bathroom, you know, like a, 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 a gewaldiga thing. I mean, it's necessary, obviously, and you want healthy, but it's not, you know, the peak of the human uh, achievement. It's more behemothic. That's one way of looking at it. That's what Rambam says in the Mornavuchah. Aristotle was coming from a certain perspective. You have to, most people just don't understand that. I don't know if I, I, don't know if I go into all this altogether. But uh, uh, he does say that, you know, the human being has sensuality, the senses, and uh, the most uh, animalistic is the sense of touch. You get it? No, the physical contact. Sexuality, frankly, is a business of, of physical touching, you know, of various sorts. So, therefore, the Rambam says it's, it's a bummer. And uh, what would support the Rambam is the fact that Shechazer is Matame, you know, it's Avatoma. On the other hand, the Chazal don't really seem to go that way. The Bible doesn't exactly seem to go that way. And... Uh, in the, the Ramban, they say it's the Ramban, it might be the Ramban, somebody else wrote a famous letter attacking this, and this is the more frummy one, in which said, no, it's a high madrego. You know, sexuality, uh, when done right, is a, is a sublime. It's, notice it's a religious act. It's a religious act. But in order to do that, 
basically what you have to do is you have to undertake to, to try to uh, divorce the sexuality from the prurience. You know, same from the titillation. That's very hard to do in every generation. And uh, he knows it also. And basically, uh, Aristotle in rabbinic thought in the Middle Ages is embodied in Asof. You get it? So the idea, therefore, the way they usually write in the old Sfarm is Yaakov has this attitude towards Chibur, which is what they refer to sexuality. And the famous um, Raya that they bring against the Rambam is, is Hodom Yodas Chabeshto. You know, Yediyah is the word used for original sexual union. Yediyah from the Aristotelian point of view, philosophical point of view, a very high level. It's uh, unique. And, um, you know, the, the reasoning capacity. So basically, if it's performed in one way, then it's not animalistic at all. It just looks like it's animalistic. But it has an entirely different quality. If it's performed in another way, then it is animalistic. Okay, with that background, so he goes on to say that, uh, uh, what shall I say? The Gemara even says, uh, that, you know, uh, God looks up uh, with uh, anticipation every time Jewish people get together and do this, and so on and so forth. He said, what's the shot, right? Basically, I'll read you the, the paragraph very quickly, because it's very short, and it's very interesting, especially in light of the Sota this week. Uh, again, a short paragraph. When there is sexuality in a proper way, then we call it yodea, knowledge. And it's something sacred with nothing ugly about it. Therefore, the Gemara says in Mesech Desnida, that God looks down approvingly every time Jews get together and do it. I can't wait for the tipa that will produce a tzaddik. Omar Bilam, so the famous prophet Bilam said, I can't believe this. Bilam, right? Mishu Tohor, Masharts of Tarm Kedoshim, Yistaka Dvarmelu. According to this Chazal, Bilam said, God, who is beyond Tohor, and the angels are Tohor, and Kedoshim, he would look at something as ugly as this? And that's why he went blind. His eye became blind. That's how that Chazal goes. That's why we all know Bilam says, Sesum uh, Ha'ayin, he was blind. What does it mean, though? According to our author, this guy, Bilam, obviously agreed with the definition of sexuality of Hatome Ha'yavani, of Aristotle. That it's, uh, as I say, the sense of touch is the most animalistic, therefore the most uh, low and base. And Bilam, his eye went uh, blind, or as far as I went blind, to him means they were incapable of seeing the sublime in the sexual. But it doesn't mean his eye went blind. Necessarily means they were blinded to this aspect of it. I would say today in America, for example, modern called the internet culture, is blind to this notion. Because they themselves were so full of taiva, they couldn't conceive of something sublime or sacred in this. Uh, this is a very good definition of the secular world today. If you talk about something, Kedusha Dick, they'll just, you know, roll their eyes. And if a person indeed engages in this, in something other than the... Uh, uh, Kaddish dig away, 
Then we have the, we have a repeat, and this is what I want to get at today, of the original struggle between Yaakov and Esau, because in the Torah, as we all know, Yaakov and the angel of Esau uh, wrestle. And uh, this is a, uh, a sublime wrestling, very portentous. And as we all know, Yaakov wins the wrestling match, sort of, but Esau punches him in the Erech. And Yaakov is limping. Uh, afterwards. Now, um, what does that mean? Especially to our author and people like that. They're looking for the meaning behind the stories. And what it means is, Esau was able to punch Yaakov, that Yaakov's progeny, his children, because that's what it really means, the Yerech means down there, his progeny will not be able to totally withstand the Esau Dickaway of looking at sexuality. They will not be able to totally and successfully resist the prurient side of it. You understand? Some will, but some will not. That's the meaning that, that Esau punched Yaakov uh, and Yaakov was limping. So Yaakov does survive, right? His interpretation of of these matters does survive, but it's it's not that he's impervious to the influence of Esau, okay? And uh, that's, he said, Alken kochol shal Esau no The Koch of Esau will be present in the uh, the thigh of Yaakov, in other words, in, in the production, in the sexuality. Uh, and and basically, uh, let's put it this way. What it means is, he argues, that if you allow yourself, you can turn into something bad because the punch of Esau is always there. On the other hand, if you resist that, you can make it something good. Now, what I'm saying right now is a quote from the Zohar, basically. That's what he's quoting. And what does it mean, therefore, the Zohar says, that Esau was able to land a, a permanent punch on Yaakov? So the Zohar says they was trying to punch Yaakov in the sense that Yaakov married two sisters. But Yaakov beat that because, the Zohar says, Yaakov was married to the two sisters, but not in a prurient way. Um, because after all, you and I know the story, he never intended to marry the two sisters, that was the result of trickery of Lovan, and uh, Yaakov was always mainly in love with the Rachel, and, when, and so whatever relation he conducted was, was not in a prurient fashion. On the other hand, the Zohar says, it, the Esau landed a, a wound on Yaakov, a permanent punch, and so what he says is, Nitin l'kochel she Esau, Yerech HaSotah, that the Yerech Defy of the Sota Parsha, uh, which basically means that uh, the, the, how shall I put it, the jealousy, uh, the prurient uh, uh, side of it, uh, will always be present and will express itself in um, any deviation from the proper way, particularly the Sota. The term Sota even don't know this. Most people don't know this. The term sota means uh, an unfaithful wife. That's the definition of the word sota. The parsha that we deal with is what we call suffix sota. When a lady comes to base and makes one of these ceremonies, she's what we call suffix sota. Uh, if indeed it turns out that the water indicates this, that, and the other, let's say, for example, she survives, then she's not a sota, <laughs> right? I'm talking about technically. 
If, of course, she perishes, then we know she was a sota. If she confesses, we know she was a sota. That's how it works. So the whole notion of unfaithfulness and uh, breaches of norms, this we call sota. So the descendants of Yaakov will never be impervious to this. You understand? And uh, the reason it, it, this struck me, first of all, I read it today, was this is a week of Parshish Noso. And second of all, the divine intervention side of it is just very interesting. Because if we, if I understand this uh, Zohar correctly, this was part of the battle of Yaakov and Esau, or the angel of Esau. And therefore, it's, it's, it's a divine you know, injection into the Jewish experience. And the Jewish people have to go through centuries living with this uh, problem on them. So it, had Yaakov, you know, not been wounded by Esau, all Jewish spouses would be totally faithful forever. Get it? And that's, that's what that means, right? If Yaakov had, had uh, uh, not had this encounter, or better yet, if he had not been punched successfully by, by the Sar Shal Esau, then, um, then Yaakov would uh, have been a different person, and more importantly, his children would have been in progeny, and there would be uh, absolute fidelity in all marriage relationships. But because Esau was able to land a blow on him and wounded him, it says he was limping, so consequently, you know, it, it, it doesn't turn out that way. Uh, and therefore it becomes, you know, uh, basically wheat who live today, for example, you know, the Sar Shalef is still, still there, you know, waiting for opportunity. Um, which is pow- powerful because what it means is when you see cases of marriage crises, all the rest of it, it's a metaphysical reality. Not just a normal social and psychological reality, uh, but in the Jewish tradition, at least the mystical Jewish tradition, is Esau still trying to, 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 to punch. So if I'm married or you're married, so we are Yaakov, but you always got to be on guard because the Sar Shalesa, wherever he is, is trying to, try, trying to uh, you know, land a punch in there. And uh, this is pretty heavy, because uh, I would say, not trying to sound too rabbinical over here, but I would say uh, in the current times, you know, all of uh, Western civilization has turned in this direction. Certainly the internet, you know, the media, turned direction of it. It's, it's always trying to land a punch. And... Uh, you know, it's easy to say to everybody, don't read anything, don't ever turn anything on, don't watch anything at all, the rest of it. Okay, yeah, it's not so realistic, <laughs> right? Uh, and especially those of us who are or parents or grandparents, uh, how are you going to keep your kids uh, from being punched by ASO? That's a very interesting question. I find it a very interesting model to, to think of it in that way. Uh, we usually don't imagine, and this is not a good speech to give at a wedding, you know, you're, the two of you are now about to be married, you're, now you're married, you build a bias number, you throw, watch out for the Sar Shaleso. You know, nobody wants to hear that at a Sheva Brothers, you know. But it's not wrong, and it's kind of useful, I think, uh, because if I told you, you just bought a house, but there's a, a guy trying to take the house away from you, always be on guard, make sure your property's well kept, because otherwise this guy who wants to take the house away from you will then complain to the city and be able to... You, you'll make sure to keep your house well kept. You understand? If you're aware of the danger, then you'll usually... Most people be on guard. When people get married or maintain relationships even long-term after decades, they don't necessarily think, 
there's somebody out to, uh, you know, to, to, to separate them. But based on what I just said, there is. There's always Sarsha Lace about to, 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 to mess up any uh, marriage relationship. And so a couple, no matter how long they're married, ought to be able to say, based on what I just read, that, uh, you know, we have to make sure we stick together and maintain a relationship correctly because the Sasha Lace is always going to try to, to, to split us, to cause trouble. Uh, there's plenty of problems out there in the world and financial, and now the coronavirus that doesn't help. But even without that, but uh, to view social life and social reality in terms of an us versus them, by that I mean a Yaakov versus Aso. I'm not talking about Jews and Gaim, I'm talking about the Yaakov versus Aso. And there's the notion that there's, you know, the, the punch of Aesop is waiting to land, and you have to take very uh, good care to uh, avoid that and how you uh, act with each other and how you organize your daily schedules and things like that. It's actually, to my mind, a very interesting way of pursuing um, successful <laughs> marriage relationships. Now, in Jewish history, there's always been a problem. Anybody knows the slightest bit from Shalos and Shubas literature, all the rest of it, knows people are people. And don't think everybody was so from in this area throughout Jewish history. Uh, the Rambam very famously says, at the end of uh, Sefer Kedush, I believe, uh, no, at the end of Hilchazasuribiyah, that uh, he says, Ein l'cha, how's it go? Here, let me open it up. That to resist uh, temptation in these areas, Arayas and Bias Asuras, is uh, is the hardest is the hardest thing in the Torah. It's harder than keeping kosher. This the, I'm I'm just quoting you from the Rambam, right? Because uh, if you know anything about the Mishnah Torah, a lot of times at the end of some section, the Rambam will include a little sermonette. They're really cool. And this is a very famous one, in which he says, The hardest things for the rove of people is the sexual stuff. And that's just interesting, right? You know, um, some people say, no, keeping kosher is harder. Keeping, uh, you know, a lot of things are harder. No, it's not. And uh, he goes on to say, Get over it. There never will be a Jewish community that doesn't have crises from these issues. You'll never find a Jewish community ever. Then you have some people that are going to be very deficient in the sexual area. As we say today, you know, problems with, uh, with infidelity and uh, pornography and who knows what. Right? Who knows what. And... Uh, just get over it. It's going to be part of there. Anybody who wants to be a rabbi, no matter where they are, you think of the frumus or the frum, it's, it's always going to be there. And the Rambam, being a, a philosopher, so he says, you have to go and sort of try to divide, organize yourself, um, your life in such a way that you're self-disciplined against that. And if you want to read the rest of it, go take a look. I'm, I'm sure many of you have heard it, but if you haven't, it's very, very cool. It's at the end in Perkhaf Beis and Hilchas Asurabiyah. It's very famous, right? Uh, by the way, one of the things he says is stay away from booze. Uh, uh, shikras is a booze. Uh, 
alcoholism and this other stuff often goes together. Is that's a common sense. But today, so many people committed to all the whiskey and the drinking and all the rest of it, they don't see it that way. So, uh, as I said before, you end up with this very interesting ceremony uh, because we don't say, since the Torah was given, everybody's a high my drinker, they all said, now some initially, they put crowns on their head, and therefore, you don't have to worry about any sexual deviation ever then. Not true. Uh, it'll always be there, and you always have to be on guard against it. And... Uh, uh, human jealousy of such a nature that absent something like this, you'll never be able to repair the relationship. Which leaves us with the crisis today. No, it's not basically it's not here. What happens if somebody says the lotion heart to you know or whatever to someone else about their spouse? Uh, you created a real mess because it'll it'll never go away. You know what I mean? In other words, uh, if you're right, if what you said was accurate, well, it's accurate. But if you just think. Think twice before you talk, because uh, you you really put a a, a bomb in that uh, marriage relationship, and uh, these are simply interesting uh, you know facts. So I think this is, to my mind, the most um, interesting part of the parsha. Notice, by the way, that we have the nausea next to it, and uh, uh, you know it's it's this interesting. This institution of nazirus is not about celibacy. Uh, a nazir has to swear off of wine and anything connected with alcohol, even grape juice. And a nazir has to swear off of contact with the dead. He can't even do what a coin can do to, in terms of going to funerals. Um, but it doesn't say a nazir swears off to the married life. It's just interesting. And uh, Shimshon, uh, who's in the, you know, in the Haftar, in this least part of the classic nazir, is uh, talk has problems with celibacy. Let's put it that way. <laughs> Right, as the mission says, you know he, his uh, he uh, used his eyes wrong. Different eyes were poked out, which he acknowledged. No pasha shimson very hard. I'm thinking I'm gonna talk about it later this afternoon with my uh, shul, with the zoom. But uh, all these are showing you the Torah doesn't run away from realities of life. Uh, we don't have a magic bullet. Well, we do have a magic bullet. You have the sota. Well, okay, we don't have that today. So in the absence of that, if you don't have a magic bull, you have to use a lot of wisdom and common sense. That just seems to me uh, obvious. You have to use wisdom and common sense. Uh, and the same way that the Torah covers all aspects of, uh, of human existence, uh, in, in a permanent way, in other words, any time you find a, a portion of the Torah, it's, it's something that's existential, it's always there. So the question of sota, of fidelity and infidelity and, and suspicion and all that, the Othello effect, as I call it, is always going to be part of the human condition. Uh, always going to be part of the human condition. And that's why we believe, understandably, anybody can do anything for Shalom Bayez, considered the highest madrega, correct? So somebody can promote the Shalom Bayez uh, to whatever way, program, we consider that an extremely high mitzvah. Okay? Because the Shalom Bayez is hard to, uh, to maintain, and the Sar Shalais is always trying to knock out the Shalom Shalom Bayez in various ways. Anyway, it's just a few thoughts in this very long Parsha. Uh, but I would therefore invite you, if you're interested, it's in the Zohar and Mishpatim. You check it out yourself. And um, I think it's very, uh, you know, productive in this day and age because what I just told you is quite at variance with what the messages of uh, society are. And the things are moving constantly in a more, um, what's the right word, uh, not only secular fashion, but I was a prurian fashion. 
And the reason is simple. You make money at it. If I do anything involving pornography, I make money at it. If I want to sell the movie, I'll put a sex scene in it. You know, and there's money to be made in it. Uh, but the money, in that way, that's mamish, the ultimate Yates of horror. You're willing to do anything and ruin the whole moral society just to make a buck. Um, unfortunately, the world is full of people exactly like that. Uh, anyway, on that high note, I wish everybody a good Shabbos. Maybe this weekend the shoals will start to open, maybe not. It's a movie that's proceeding day by day. We will see as we go along. Have a good Shabbos. For sponsorship opportunities or to support this podcast, please visit our donate page at www.support.rabbidavidkatz.com.